welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week coming to you live from Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival. My name is Dan Schreiber, and please welcome to the stage, it's Anna Chizinski, James Harkin, and Andy Murray. And uh, once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with my fact. My fact this week is that when something thought to be a meteorite actually turns out to be an ordinary rock, it's called a meteor wrong. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> so we, we were sent that fact in by uh, someone called Molly Christie. Uh, she listens to the show, she sent it in. Uh, I was looking into it. It's not obviously an official scientific terminology, but if you look into I've read AMAs on Reddit with meteorite experts. They all call it the meteorite. Yeah, it is quite a common thing. I went to the Natural History Museum a few years ago, and um, there's a kind of a department there that if you have any weird stuff that you find in your garden or whatever and you're not sure what it is, you can send it to them. They do call them meteorongs, and they think that actually um, when people think they find meteorites, it's almost always a meteorong. It's very <laughs> rare that you actually do find a real one. So the Natural History Museum has a room of meteorongs, which are basically just rocks. Yeah, pretty people much. Found yeah. In their gardens. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a guy um, uh, who was saying that, so he's at a university of Minnesota in America, and he's called Calvin Alexander. He's a university professor, and he's been asking people for, I think, 30 years to come to him if they found a meteorite. <laughs> they think they found a meteorite. And um, he says he's seen thousands, more than 5,000 meteorongs. He's retiring next year. Never yet has someone brought him something that's turned out to be a meteorite. <laughs> oh, no. Until this year. A couple oh. had a thing in their garden that they'd actually found a couple of years ago, and they said, actually, this looks a bit weird. Brought it in. There you go. It was his first ever meteorite the year before cool. his retirement. That's really cool. Uh, That's we nice. should say what a meteorite is, because I wasn't sure. So a meteoroid is a chunk of rock flying through space. And then if it enters the Earth's atmosphere, it's a meteor. But then if a bit lands, then that becomes a meteorite. Ah. Yeah. Ah. So it can be three different things, depending on where it is. Yeah. And we get about uh, 44 tons of meteorites falling on the planet every day. So you'd think there would be more. But we do. No. There's a ridiculous number. I think it's 4 billion a year land on Earth. They're mostly, I think, really 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 small mm. but it's a lot do you know how you can tell if you're out in the in the wild looking at rocks trying to find meteorites if it is one um no <laughs> <laughs> so they're magnetic okay yeah so if you have a little magnet with you a little fridge magnet or something yeah. if if there's a magnetic pull against it that doesn't it still sure. might just be a there rock are lots of, it could be like um, a radiator or something there's lots of things that have, <laughs> yeah <laughs> But that's the thing. There's a lot of there are a lot of um, rocks that are just normal terrestrial rocks that are also magnetic. So don't just yeah. go around mm. with a you know with yeah. a magnet trying to find one. That's um, what. So it was because I got really excited when they said, yeah, if it's if it's magnetic, then it's definitely a meteorite. Except for the fact that a lot of rocks are magnetic, so it may just turn out to be a rock. <laughs> yeah. However, if it's not magnetic, it could be a rock from Mars or from the Moon, which is even rarer. However, it could also just be a rock. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't sound like they've cracked the uh, perfect method. I once wrote to a meteorite expert a few years ago and asked him what you should do if one lands. Because there's a common misconception that meteorites are hot when they land, but they're not because they've just gone through space, which is really cold. And then they have gone through the atmosphere, so warmed up a bit, but they should have had plenty of time to cool down. So you could actually conceivably get a frostbite from touching a meteorite. Wow. That, that, really? that cold wow. on the inside. But when I wrote to this guy and said, what should you actually do? He said, whatever you do, don't touch it. You want to get a kind of a plastic bag 
bag and, and then put it down because just you touching it could contaminate it and mean it's not very good for science. Oh. So don't touch those meteorites. I met a, um, an explorer over Skype called <laughs> Charles Brewer Carias. Amazing character, quite controversial character. The explorer in Up was said to be based on him. You know, the, in oh, the wow. Pixar movie Up. The guy living in the Venezuelan mountains said to be based on him. He's famous for a number of things, a lot of discoveries, including he told me that uh, he discovered what he thinks is the lost city of gold. And he did it while he was having a poo in the woods. And he said to me, he said to me I looked in between my legs and saw something spectacular. <laughs> wow. and, um, These Skype dates of yours. <laughs> but he also told me that he's discovered this glowing coral glowing coral, which is the oldest life form on this planet. Okay. And he said that it arrived via uh, space, the meteorites, and it, so it's now living on Earth, an extraterrestrial. Is this, uh, how trustworthy is this guy? <laughs> is he friends with your yeti hunting friends and your ghost seeking friends? Well, I don't know. He said, he said, he was like a biologist came in and said that this is definitely the oldest form of life and actually it feels like it's from out of space. And then I emailed the biologist and she said there's about as much exobiology in it as there is in my foot. So she, he must have heard it wrong kind of thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but potentially in the hills of uh, oh, Venezuela. that she had an amazing foot full of aliens. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Do you know the Cambodian thing you shout when a meteorite arrives is star poo is what you say. Arch Pakai, that's what happened when uh, one landed in Cambodia in 2014. Is that what they call them? Well, loads of the people shouted, um, the local Khmer people shouted star poo. So I don't know if it's an official scientific name. (laughs) Wow. Um, there was a, the RNLI uh, launched a really big search and rescue operation last year, I think, because of a uh, meteor flying through the sky and they thought it was a distress flare being sent up by a ship. There was really? an emergency operation. This is, this is um, off the Cumbrian coast, I think. Um, and I think, you know, it takes quite a lot of money. And they went out there and then gradually reports started coming through from the rest of the country saying there's this flare going across the sky <laughs> everywhere. And it turned out, yep, no one's dying, which is actually good news <laughs> in a way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in the late 18th century in France, they didn't think that um, the Academy Francaise didn't think that uh, meteorites could possibly exist. Supposedly, what they said was there are no rocks in the sky, therefore, rocks cannot fall from the sky. Uh, and they decided. That logic is actually yeah. infallible. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But that's apparently what they said. And um, apparently they, it meant that they didn't do any kind of studies on possible meteorites because if someone said they found one and saw one land, they were like, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not real. Um, but then in 1803, more than 2,000 meteorites fell in a single village in Normandy. What? <laughs> so they had to kind of change their mind a little bit. Wow. wow. Yeah, apparently that's a story. I don't know if it's true. It's very cool. Yeah. There was um, a meteorite fell through the roof of a, a house owned by the Comet family recently. I think, <laughs> I think it was two years ago. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? Comet. I think they're French. You didn't read anything more on that story, did you? No, why would I? (laughs) It's only going to get worse from there. Uh, We need to move on quite soon to our next fact. Can I do just a quick thing, a new story that I read? Um, A Bosnian man um, had his house hit five times by meteorites in less than six months a few years ago. Um, experts at the local university were like, well, maybe there's like a magnetic anomaly or something like that. But he thought that, um, he said, I am obviously being targeted by extraterrestrials. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I've done to annoy them, but there is no other explanation that makes sense. (laughs) The chance of being hit by a meteorite is so small that getting hit five times has to be deliberate. (laughs) 
Um, okay, let's move on to our second fact of the show, and that is Andy Murray. My fact this week is that brown falcons commit arson. <laughs> okay. So these are uh, Australian birds. Uh, they're a kind of falcon. And there are two species, brown falcons and black kites. And they've been observed picking up, uh, when there are wildfires, they've been observed picking up smoldering bits of branch and twig and carrying them to new locations and starting fires in new areas, which then makes all the little creatures in the undergrowth run out so that they can uh, kill them and eat them. So this is deliberate fire starting uh, (laughs) as a way of getting food. And it's all, so far, it's uh, not been observed, it's not been filmed, and it's uh, anecdotal evidence from park rangers, uh, Aboriginal Australians, and Australian firemen. Yeah, so it could be made up, couldn't it? I don't think it's made up, but I think it needs to be observed properly. Okay. It seems likely, though. It does yeah. make sense, because they rely on uh, on fires for their food very often, don't they, those types of birds? So it makes sense. Yeah, it reminds me of a thing. We, we did a radio show with a guy called Rupert Sheldrake a few years ago, and he said that um, people anecdotally have said that when sheep want to get across a cattle grid... They kind of roll over on the cattle grid to get from one side to the other. That's, and he said yeah. loads of people have seen this happening. Yeah. Um, but actually, we think probably it never happened. Oh, yeah. It might be just a story. Um, what they noticed was someone started reporting it in one bit of Australia. And then a few days later, sheep across the country started doing it as if there was some kind of secret sheep whispering kind of <laughs> network that managed to spread. Yeah. But it's, yeah, so it sounds like it's in the Sheldrakey area slightly, yeah. I guess. I, but yeah, actually, I these is, people yeah. who have been talking about it are, you know, like you say they're park rangers and they're, yeah. you know people who kind of would know that kind yeah. of thing aren't so they? it would be very very good to know if it um if it does happen and for the so there's more research being done basically and more observation being done the, the one of the co-authors of it mark bonta has suggested that humans might have learned about spreading fires from birds <laughs> yeah. which seems less ah. likely um <laughs> But apparently, yeah, because they, they, they have to carry them quite small distances while they're still smouldering, obviously, because if you fly, you know, far, then it'll go out. Yeah. I mean, if we learn about carrying fire from birds, we overtook them so fast. <laughs> <laughs> they're still there occasionally picking up a burning ember. We've got yeah. bonfire night. Do- <laughs> um, <laughs> does happen, though. So in 2014, a pigeon in Stockwell did start a fire by dropping a cigarette in its nest. So... Oh, did it? On uh, purpose? That, or? Well, we don't know. Um, <laughs> I've read about a um, this new Kickstarter that's been fully funded where you can now, um, if you're out in the in camping or whatever, it's this little kit where you light a fire and it heats up this pad that creates a battery charge for your iPhone. So you've got an external iPhone charger now, or smartphone charger, which plugs in to a fire source to give <laughs> wow. it. Yeah, wow. isn't that really cool? That is smart. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of humans making fire, actually some humans still uh, can't make fire. Uh, or until the 20th century, they, there are tribes that had, still hadn't learned how to make fire. So there are um, the, for instance, F.A. and Mbuti uh, pygmies, that I think pygmy tribes that are in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They, we think they could make fire thousands of years ago. There's some evidence for that. But it seems like they forgot. And now um, it's part of tribal tradition that you have to carry around a burn, burning ember with you all the time. So you get fire from, like, if there's a lightning storm in the forest, then a, a tree sets on fire, and you pick up that. And it's the women's job in these tribes to carry around this burning ember, and they have to wrap it up wow. in a damp leaves when they move from one campsite to the next so that they keep this fire. Because if the fire goes out, it's like... 
We've got no fire. Just waiting for the next thunderstorm. Waiting for the next storm, yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think some anthropologists turned up about 20 years ago and said, guys. (laughs) I was reading about some other unusual birds, cool birds. Oh, yeah. Um, So baby grey cat birds, uh, they get their name because they make a noise like a cat. They kind of do a little meow. Which sounds great, but it's not really great for them because it just attracts cats. <laughs> <laughs> that is a I massive know, evolutionary exactly. design for us. And in 2011, they did a study and they found that domestic cats were responsible for nearly half of all deaths of these birds. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Um, here's another one. Um, I, there's a hummingbird called Anna's Hummingbird. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, he's at home now. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to come tonight. Anna's Hummingbird can shake their bodies 50 Five times per second, which is the fastest shake of any vertebrate known. Just back to the sounds, I was reading yeah. about a bird that's called the fork-tailed drongo, okay. and this bird has the ability to mimic other animals and other birds, and what it does is it lets out, it's learnt the call of there's danger nearby, so if it feels like, it's so basically it's so that they can steal food off other animals, so they'll be like, Danger's coming, and then they'll say it like a cat or like a I don't know, like a hamster or something. And the or hamster like a will go, human. Could they say danger's coming? I don't in think human they've language. mastered human. Oh. Yeah, and so they so these things run off, and then they get the food. But they've learnt to both lie and not lie when there is actual danger. So they oh. so they've kept animals on their toes when they hear it and go, oh, it's probably that dickhead bird. They they can actually then get eaten because it wasn't telling. Uh, yeah, smart. it's cry wolf. Yes. But, but sometimes there is a wolf. Yeah. You, that, you obviously never read to the end of the story of Cry Wolf. <laughs> I got the gist of it. The same thing just kept happening. I was like, this is boring now. Oh, God. Um, cuckoos are... So I was looking at birds committing crimes. Uh, these birds commit mm. arson. Cuckoos are obviously very famous criminal birds. Um, you know, uh, put, drop, put their eggs in other birds' nests and disguise them as other birds' eggs. And then the egg hatches and it tips all the real eggs out of the nest and... That's that. So they're murderers and kind of house thieves. Um, but other birds are getting really wise to it. So um, they've cuckoos have evolved to make their eggs Im- mimic the eggs of whatever bird whose nest they want to steal. So the eggs look identical uh, to, to our human eyes to the bird whose nest they want to steal's eggs. But birds, other birds, have now developed, uh, evolved, really super sensitive infrared type vision. So they can see really subtle differences in cuckoos' eggs wow. that completely distinguish them from their own eggs. So they're getting the better of them gradually. That's very it's cool. It's nice, then, isn't it? But then the cuckoos will probably evolve yeah. again to beat that. and It's a race. Yeah. Why can't they evolve to build their own nests one day? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Actually, I think of all the cuckoo species, I think most of them don't do that parasitic thing. Yeah. The ones in Europe do, but around the world, I think most of them don't. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, last month, an Israeli vulture was arrested in Lebanon for spying. <laughs> so... Happened. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And is it was it charged? It no, I don't think so. I think it was eventually released. So what it, kind of interrogation <laughs> happened that they went? <laughs> no, you well, didn't they, do it, did you? You've been framed. It had a location transmitter and an Israeli identification tag on it. So I suppose the thinking was that Israeli spies would have written this is a spy on a bird. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, in 1471, a chicken in Basel was found guilty of laying a brightly coloured egg, <laughs> um, which was thought to be in defiance of natural law. What uh, was the penalty? Unfortunately, it wasn't let free like the Israeli one. Um, it was burned to death at the stake. Oh. Ah, I mean, that's <laughs> a delicious, delicious steak. 
So Nando's was born. <laughs> uh, I found a bird that I'd never heard of before. It's a Tibetan blackbird. This is its name. Turdus Maximus. <laughs> it's an actual bird. Well, all corvid birds are the Turdus uh, genus, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, I don't, Thrush, is that genus? Thrushes are all... Turdus? So they turdus turdus, I think. They're turdus turdus. So corvids are crows and um, corvids ravens? are the best. They're crows, ravens, uh, magpies, uh, all birds like that, and mm. they're so intelligent. So they. The, so this fact is kind of about birds of prey learning how to use tools in a way, and um, corvids are amazing at using tools. So there was one experiment where a crow was it managed to it was given a piece of wire. And it managed to bend this piece of wire into a hook using a glass kind of beaker that was nearby. So it like pushed the glass beaker against a wall so that it bent this bit of wire into a hook in order that it could hook a stick that was slightly out of its reach and it hooked the stick towards it. And then it took the long stick with which it was able to get the food that it wanted to get. Wow. That's impressive, isn't it? That's really impressive. I don't know why I couldn't just fly over and pick up the food, but it was challenging itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to have to move on really shortly. So anything else before we do? Uh, koalas to escape forest fires um, their instinctive reaction is to crawl up a tree yeah. so oh, no. they often have to get rescued by Australian firefighters <laughs> badly evolved yeah, yeah. but they presumably fires. move really slowly so that's their best bet I'm guessing like I would never picture like a herd of koala coming out <laughs> as a fire was approaching them yeah um, alright let's move on to our third fact of the evening and that is Chizinski Yeah, my fact is that in 1461, the mayor of Jaén in Spain donated 10,000 eggs to his citizens so they could have a huge food fight. (laughs) Very kind. It's nice of him. He's a good guy. This is a guy called uh, Constable Don Miguel Lucas de Aranzo, and he decided for Easter, Easter celebration, give his people this big food fight, and he built this huge fake wooden castle that he wheeled into the city centre and I think he then holed himself up in his house with some of his guards and he was like to the townspeople said you get in this castle and let's pelt each other with eggs for a while and they did it and then they did it again on May Day because they enjoyed it so much (laughs) and for a few subsequent years it does kind of feel like a thing that should have carried on forever doesn't it because it does does. sound like the most fun thing ever what must have happened to stop it I feel like he, because it always seems to be him throughout the 1460s, so maybe when he left office, he sounds like maybe the Boris Johnson of the 15th century. (laughs) He probably had some dodgy policies, but did a lot of fun stuff on the side, (laughs) won the people round. I read that in one of the other fights that he had, that there was such a surplus of food that people then started hitting each other with chickens. (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. no. Yeah. Why do you hit someone with a chicken? Well, it's just an older egg, isn't it? <laughs> Waiter, I think this egg is off. <laughs> so you come into Nando's every day and say that. <laughs> um, they were boiled eggs, I think, which sounds a bit less oh, fun. Oh, they? Yeah. Ah. Uh, I've, read mix- I've read mixed. There's a lot of controversy over the type of egg. Oh, really? Um, I think, yeah, some sources say boiled, some say just raw, but it's so hard to tell from the outside, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Actually, there is a game called um, Egg Roulette, which, so I think this is part of the uh, the Lincolnshire World Egg Throwing Championships, which are a massive deal. We probably all tried to get tickets at some point. (laughs) And um, they have stuff like the World Egg Trebuchet and um, egg throwing, obviously. And then one of the contests is Egg Roulette, which involves you sit at a table with one other person and you've got a whole bunch of eggs laid out in front of you and they're all boiled except one. And you take it in turns to select one and smash it against your forehead and then... You get covered in raw egg when you pick the wrong one. Mm. It's not as dangerous it's as fun. Russian roulette, but but you're still covered in but you're still covered in sort of boiled egg <laughs> when you. <laughs> and it's not great. It's, it's not a good result. It's not ideal. 
Um, the egg throwing itself, it's quite good. It's what happens is you're um, 10 meters away from your friend, you chuck him the egg, and or or she, and they have to catch it uh, and not break it. And then everyone does that, and everyone who does it right and it doesn't break, then they go to 20 meters, and then 30 meters, oh. and then 40 meters. Ah. So it's quite a cool game that is now. I reckon yeah. we should have a go later on. Are there rules that you have to throw it? Fairly towards them because you could throw it off a bit and then they be they oh, find it very difficult. You're in a team, yeah. You, so you want actually, them to catch it. Oh, you want them to catch it. This is why your team keeps losing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get that guy this time. <laughs> Are you allowed to use an apron to catch it? An apron? No, I think with your hands it has to be. Oh, okay. And they also have very strict drug rules as well, according to their website. <laughs> No, they say that like any sport, you're not allowed any performance-enhancing drugs. Um, but they do say <laughs> they do say that the local Happy Jack Real Ale is not only permitted but recommended. <laughs> um, I was reading about uh, being egged, the phenomenon of being egged. Okay, being egged. Um, fun thing to say. Um, there was a 2006 study which was called. Here's egg in your eye, a prospective study of blunt ocular trauma resulting from thrown eggs. <laughs> this was a real study. And it, but it just concluded, don't do it. Um, I mean, you... have people been ocularly traumatised frequently? Yes. Really? Not frequently, no. <laughs> but it does, it does happen very seldom. Uh, wow. was Yanukovych, do you remember the uh, president of the uh, Ukraine, Ukraine yeah. uh, got struck with... A brick was rushed to hospital because he'd been struck with a brick and it transpired when people looked back. I think they looked back over the footage and it had just been an egg. So they, it is apparently more dangerous and hard-hitting than they look. Yeah. What? Wow. wow. So he didn't look at the debris around him. He just assumed it was a brick? I think, I guess, maybe he had serious ocular damage and could no longer oh, see yeah, I guess so, yeah. his surroundings. You know, in Greece, you don't get egged, you get yogurted. Do you? It's oh, called really? yaurturma. Yaur- don't write in. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 like yogurt, yeah, Otoma. Um, and um, it's a specific kind of yogurt that they use, which is sheep's milk yogurt. That's really good for yeah, ing people because you're sort of reminding people that they're Greek and that, that they've shamed Greekness. Oh, by throwing your Greek, Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt at them. Oh. Yeah. So when you say it's a special kind, do you go into a shop and say, "Do you have any yogurt?" And they say, "Is this for eating or for <laughs> assaulting a politician?" <laughs> Oh, the politicians, they're in the top left corner, yeah. Oh, there was quite a vicious food fight in 1818 in Harvard, apparently. This was an era of quite a lot of student protests in America, I think. And, um, yeah, this food fight started when someone threw a slice of buttered bread... And it ended up going mad for days. And like, all the crocker- all Harvard's crockery was smashed. Uh, lots of plates and chairs were thrown at each other. Lots of furniture broken. Um, there was... Uh, a lot of students were suspended, unsurprisingly. And then all the other students who hadn't been suspended went and protested. One of them was Emerson. Ralph Waldo Emerson was there at the time. And he protested and went, stood under a tree. And they sort of mobbed all the tutors and said, how dare you suspend students for breaking all the furniture in this place <laughs> and smashing all the crockery. And yeah, apparently this was quite a common occurrence. So they let them all back in because they were upset. Wow. All right. Hey, (laughs) let's move on to our final fact of the show, and that is James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is that in 1951, Australia's football team played against England and lost 17-0. The goalkeeper was called Norman Conquest. What a great name, Norman Conquest. I love it. uh, And he is quite a famous goalkeeper. He's in the Australian Hall of Fame. 
But he's most famous for being in this one game where they got absolutely annihilated what by England. Happened? What happened? What happened in the game? Was just well, seventeen 0 But how did he? There was a report written by a guy called Tugger Bryant, who was <laughs> another former footballer, and he said that Australia could not handle the mud. It was a really, really muddy pitch. Australia could not handle the mud, whereas England reveled in it and ran rings around the Australians. Um, our players spent more time on their backs in the mud than on their feet. The only time they were on their feet was when the band played God Save the Queen. <laughs> so, yeah, the English team could um, kind of deal with their heavy conditions, but the Australians just weren't used to it. Um, I looked up more uh, excellent footballer names oh, from yeah, cool. history. Mm-hmm. So, um, Reading in the 70s had a goalkeeper called Steve Death. Um, And just outside the goalie arena There's a Zimbabwean defender I'm sure you'll have heard of him James Called Danger Fourpence Which is great Uh, There's a Ghanaian chap called Naughty Naughty (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing There's a Brazilian striker called Credence Clearwater Kuto Because his parents were such fans Of Credence Clearwater Revival Yeah, he's quite famous Everyone calls him Paulista I think Do they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Australia are um, now obviously quite a decent team, aren't they? They're such well a good team. Because Dan's mm. from Australia or, li- or was brought up in Australia, yeah. were you? Um, so you're a, you're a fan of the Socceroos. Yeah, yeah. They're and incredible. we watched the games in the last World Cup in the QI office. When they lost 17 0, it was the record defeat, I think, of any team in an international game. Uh, but now Australia holds the record win uh, when they beat American Samoa 31 0 in 2001. Mm. But what happened there was the American Samoa team all had passport issues. And so all but one of the players were ineligible to play because they couldn't get out of the country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, they couldn't call up any of their under-20 team because they were all doing exams at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had to just draft in all these really, really young or inexperienced players, including three 15-year-olds. <laughs> and at the end of the game, the um, stadium showed that the score was 32-0 because everyone had lost count of how There's always a little caveat for any international glory for Australian sport. It's so annoying. (laughs) Do you remember the Olympics? It was that speed racer guy on. um, on, So So he was a speed skater, right? Yeah, speed skater, Mm. and he uh, was coming last in the heats, uh, and or I think it was uh, he'd made it through the heats, and he was in the semis. And uh, as they came around the corner on the last bit, he was way in behind. Someone tripped in front, took out everyone. He was so far back that he could dodge <laughs> right around them. Came first, made it to the finals. So everyone was going, there was no way this guy should ever be here, but here he is now. Finals, gets around to the same corner, he's way behind, same thing happens. Yeah. Everyone no. falls down, yep. He took over and just waltzed in to gold. First no. ever gold that we've got. And he got it because both tides. And he now goes around the country of Australia doing motivational talks. <laughs> To, to school kids and stuff, and his talks are basically, oh, you never know, someone might cock up. <laughs> He's always like the tenth person they ask, but the other nine get hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah. I was reading a bit about goalkeeping tactics over the years. Okay. Because uh, this is about a uh, goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, so, um, John Burridge was a goalkeeper, and he kept his reflexes nice and sharp between the 60s and the 90s was his career uh, by asking his wife to throw fruit at him when he wasn't looking. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. There was a guy called Harry Rennie who was a Scottish goalie, and uh, in the 1890s, his training regime was to throw himself onto wooden boards for half an hour every day. To toughen, just to toughen himself up. Yeah, because he'd have to be throwing himself on the floor. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Ah, 
Okay. Wow. That's Half smart. an hour. So the first mention of football that I could find, at least in Australia, um, is a letter to a newspaper complaining about football. Uh, and it's a guy, I'm going to read it out. Our town is increasingly going in the wrong direction. It will ultimately be no more than a Dutch Lang Street. My pipe is out. I must now halt. Till you hear from me again, Bog Trotter. <laughs> I also love it. And another thing about Norman Conquest is um, on there's a website called howmanyofme.com where you can see how many names there are of you. Uh, this is only in America, unfortunately. But there are 288,278 Normans in America. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? People called Norman. How many thousand? 288,000. Out of 150 million men, roughly. Yeah, that's quite that's a lot. That's massive. Isn't it? There's yeah. 1,082 people with the last name Conquest, and there's one person in America called Norman Conquest. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. So if you're listening, Norman. Um, the name Norman is going out of fashion, I think, yeah, in definitely. Britain. I think in 2005, there were only two babies called Norman born, and then I couldn't even find data for after that. So I, unless there's been a huge surge, <laughs> then I think it might have disappeared entirely. Mm. No, it's really it's sad, really isn't it? Sad, yeah. Really sad. Can I can I quickly move the chat to names in Australia? Yeah, I, I just started doing a Google on on things that I both had been to in Australia just to see the origins of it. And I was looking at Mount Kosciuszko, which there's a lot of... I, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce it properly, but it's the tallest mountain in Australia. And I've climbed it. It's so easy to climb. It's, <laughs> it's a tiny little bump. And... and um, <laughs> But we're very proud of it. It's our, it's our tallest mountain. So there was a thing was, for years and years, it was called Mount Kosciuszko, uh, and it was this wonderful mountain. And uh, in, uh, basically, they discovered, and this was explained in a 1910 book, that they eventually started recalculating the sizes and heights of mountains and discovered that a mountain just near Mount Kosciuszko called Mount Townsend was actually taller. So suddenly we had a new tallest mountain. And rather than changing all the books... They just decided, this is going to be a massive hassle. Let's just swap the names of the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) They genuinely did that. So Mount Kosciuszko is actually Mount Townsend. They were just too lazy to do any admin. That's such a good idea, though, isn't it? Yeah. You don't have to change any Yeah, on the the maps, you can just draw two arrows. (laughs) (laughs) So does it not have many big mountains, Australia? No, I think really. it's bigger than ours. How tall is Mount Kosciuszko? Uh, it's 2,228 metres. Right, you know that's almost three times higher than England's highest mountain. <laughs> so we go calling it a little bump. Yeah. Uh, just it's be actually, careful. I think it's not... Is there not a tall... It's the biggest one on the mainland, isn't there? There might be yeah. a, one in the Australian islands, which is a bit... There, bit are, there are a bunch in the Australian yeah. islands. Uh, they, they, there's actually a bit on the Wikipedia page that says mountains higher than the highest mountain. <laughs> and there's a huge list, but they're but not they're on the mainland. Cold, Mount Kosciuszko. <laughs> <laughs> we just we found swapping. another one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need to wrap up very soon. Uh, oh, have you no. guys got anything before um, we do? Some funny names, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Always a high a big... brown note to end on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, there's a website called nameoftheyear.com, which is quite cool. Uh, and they I don't think it's an official award or anything like that, but they go around and look in all the newspapers and anyone who's kind of a notable person and they take all the funniest names and they make them battle against each other, like which of these is the best name and they go through to the next round and you have a, a winner. And the winner last year was um, a lady who hit the news after being arrested for shoplifting in Idaho called Amanda Miranda Panda. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And we're sure she didn't just panic when the police asked her. Yeah. Um, some of the people that she beat include Reverend Pier Battista Pizzaballa, <laughs> who was the head of the custody of the Holy Land Priory. 
and Dr. Wallop Promthong, who is a professor at Rajamangala University. And there's um, people in Britain, uh, various names. This was a newspaper article, I think it was in the Mirror or somewhere, uh, people with funny names. Um, There's a Justin Case, a Barb Dwyer, Terry Bull and Doug Hole, all people in the UK with those names. Uh, And there's a retired airman called Stan Still uh, (laughs) from Sirencester. And he said, it's been a blooming millstone round my neck my entire life. Probably why I can't move. That's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James at Eggshaped, Andy at Andrew Hunter M. Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com. That's our website. We've got all of our previous episodes up there. Thank you so much for listening at home. Thank you guys for listening here. That's the show. Good night. Good night.